0: Welcome to Top Shelf at the Merrick Library with your host, Carol Ann Tack. Holy cow, listeners, have I got a hair-raising episode for you. Joining me today is award-winning author Anders de la Motte for his heart-racing thriller that is on shelves right now. It is called The Mountain King, and wow, is it a must-read. Anders de la Motte. Thank you for joining us here on Top Shelf. I am so happy you're here. To say I didn't sleep last night is an understatement. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Listeners, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest. Anders is a former police officer who made his debut with the award-winning thriller game and has since been one of Sweden's most beloved and popular crime writers. He is the author of several acclaimed and best-selling crime fiction series, among them the suspenseful, and I'm telling you, you have to go pick this up, the powerful Seasons Quartet. I loved that whole group of books. Published here in the United States in 2024 is The Mountain King. It is the first best-selling installment in the new Leo Asker series, and man, am I glad it's here. Author Will Dean says the book is Nordic crime at its best, and author Andrew Gross says The Mountain King is a masterful thriller that succeeds on all levels, absorbing, deftly plotted Bone-chilling, and let me tell you, bone-chilling indeed. When my copy came in the mail, my galley, it was a drop-everything-and-read moment. Trust me, my family didn't see me for like two days. So having said all that, Anders, if you would, please tell listeners about The Mountain King.
1: What a great start to an interview as well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, The Mountain King is all basis a thriller, right? But it's a combination of thriller and police procedural. Uh, And and when I planned it, I wanted to do something that was a little bit outside of the frame because I've never written a real series before. I've written sort of series, but like you mentioned the, uh, the, the Seasons Quartet, but they're actually for standalone books. And I was a little bit afraid of committing to a series and what if I get bored of the format. For instance, if you write a police procedural, typically it would have to start with a dead body and end with a murderer. And you have to follow the police officer throughout the investigations. And I wanted to do something that was a little bit wider than that and to build like a framework that had a little bit of thriller and a little bit of police procedural and also a little bit of a it and maybe maybe some horror if I wanted that so I can move freely within the frame. And so that's what I thought of when, when I planned the Mountain King and, and the Mountain King starts with Leo Asker, who's a, a very successful police detective in Malmö in southern Sweden. And she's thinking she's got a big career move coming up. So she's going to get a promotion. And she's working a big, high profile kidnapping case with a young couple who's disappeared. They're urban explorers. They have gone somewhere and they're missing. And from the first chapter, the readers know that something has happened to them. And when Leo is expecting this promotion, all of a sudden she is demoted, or she's actually moved to a different department down in the basement, level minus one. She didn't even know there was a level minus one in the building. And when she arrives there, she realizes it's called the resource department, right? But but it's not any resource at all. All the other police officers calls it the Department of Orphan Cases and Lost Souls. So that's where cases and police careers go to die. And all of a sudden, we have Leo, who is a high performer, meeting these low performers. And she's really, really upset over this. And she's really angry at the world. And she's thinking of quitting, really, when she gets a phone call from a model train society up in the woods. And they want to report the crime. It's a very serious crime to them because someone is putting out a little figurine in there and a huge landscape of model trains. And they are unauthorized figurines. And Leo is really, really upset because she thinks the sound I'm hearing now is my police career hitting the bottom, right? That's rock bottom for my career. And this man is very persuasive. So, finally, he sends her a picture of these two little figurines. And when she sees them, she realizes that the figurines actually matches perfectly the last known selfie of this kidnapped couple. So, she knows now she has a lead to this case she was just kicked out from that no one knows about. And the person who's put these figurines in there in this train model must know something about the kidnapping. So, and then then all the fun begins, right? <sighs>
0: Just listening to you say those little figurines that show up in the train model, the pit of my stomach, I started getting that same feeling in it, and I read it last month or so, and I I just thought, oh my gosh, I... Yeah, you really did a number on me. You did a number. You'll do a number on the readers. You mentioned that Leo, before we even get to the rest of the book, that she starts work in this department of orphan cases and lost souls. And the scene where she's going down in the elevator, she doesn't even know there's this sub basement level and the doors open. And I read that whole scene. It is so visual. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, this is like Severance. Like it had such a Severance vibe. I know this book was written way before that came out, but just that vibe put me completely off my footing.
1: Happy to hear. Yeah, I love Severance. It's a great show. So it's my way of taking her from out of that extremely professional department on the fourth floor that she's been to and to this forgotten department that deals with, you know, all these nonsense cases, and, and I used to be a police officer, so I know what people call and report these strangest things to the police. And since you're representing the government, you have to write it down. Even if I had people call and say, you know, I think the Swedish king is spying on me through the, uh, through the ventilation system or, you know, the queen might be uh, in the car outside. And you have to write this down and send it somewhere. And I've always wondered, where does it end up? So, so I sort of had to figure out, all right, so this ends up, of course, level minus one in the basement with all the nonsense cases and all the police officer that can't work with people anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're in the government, it's really hard to get fired. Though. So uh, they just put them somewhere where they do the least harm and wait for them to retire, basically.
0: In your old police station or the, the building that you work, did they have a sub level or was there this hidden basement that you discovered? Like how to...
1: It's actually, it's, it's a really funny story because when I started as a young police officer, in I worked in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden. And we were young and we were ambitious and we were put in a, in a corridor that looks very much like the one it leveled my one it was like a little courtyard atrium outside and you can almost see the sun if you leaned out like this and we didn't care because we were young we took any kind of cases you know Oh, break your entering. I'll take that. You know, uh, vehicle theft. Great. Uh, And at the end of our little hallway were three closed doors. And we didn't know. We we thought they were empty offices. We didn't see anyone there for about a month. And then it was someone's birthday. So someone brought in birthday cake to the coffee room. And all of a sudden, these three doors magically opened. And three older gentlemen looked out. And they were slightly red-eyed and mint-smelling. And they showed up in the break room. And they nodded politely to everyone took a piece of cake and returned to the offices closed their doors never to be seen again so uh, and everyone was looking at each other going who are they and what wh- what are they doing here and you know what are they working and and we really never did we we sort of understood that they were put there for reasons and you know they couldn't be in the public they couldn't be facing the public they couldn't be facing other police officers either and still so curious so i've saved this story this is since 1997 or so So I saved this story, and then I combined it with these orphan cases that are are floating around, and I created this Department of Orphan Cases and Lost Souls. Finally, now.
0: Yeah, well, (laughs) and that stayed with you a long time, and it's still, it's going to stay with me a long time. That is equal parts creepy and Fascinating that you, yeah. that all of a sudden three guys show up and they came for, oh, listen, that goes to show if you put out cake, people yes. will show if you up. Put a
1: cake, cake, it's very, as Leo finds out, you know, we can't motivate these people by giving orders, but you can motivate them with cake, surprisingly, you, you know. And
0: yeah. one of the things you mentioned is this urban exploration that comes up in the book. I have never heard of that practice before. Oh, yeah. Which is just fantastic. I don't know that I could do it. I think I'm probably a big chicken. When does, Urban exploration show up for you.
1: Well, I wanted to have someone that was outside of the police because I didn't want it to be just a police detective story. I wanted to keep the framework as loose as I could and have someone who wasn't a police officer. So I invented Martin Hill, who's a childhood friend of Leo's. They haven't met for a number of years, but now they sort of run into each other again in this story. And he's he's an architect. He's a, he's a professor of architecture. He teaches that. But he is also very fascinated by this, uh the older ruins and and abandoned buildings, and he has been since he was young. So he still goes on these urban exploration uh, expeditions. Which an urban exploration sounds very complicated. It is not. It's really the kind of curiosity you had when you were ten or eleven. Or I, I lived in a small village, and in every small village you have a haunted house, right? So and and you had to go there when when it's dark to find out if it's really haunted, and you have all these stories about the house, of course. So it's that curiosity to find out what's on the other side of the door, what's on the other side of the wall, what's down there in the darkness. That kind of curiosity. If you just keep that into your adult age, then you're an urban explorer, right? So it's it's not more complicated than that. You find abandoned places and you sort of explore them. And I have a friend called Kale. He's in his sixties and he's the most curious person I've ever met. I really admire his curiosity. And as soon as he sees an abandoned building, he has to go there. He has to find out what's inside. And then he's so curious and he calls it going on a vacation in time which I think is a very good description of what urban exploration really is.
0: And that leads to a whole other thing. If you open the wrong door, you really could go somewhere in time. I read too much fantasy. I read too much horror. And because of all my exposure to horror movies and horror books, and I've hosted horror authors on the show, I'm never going into that abandoned building.
1: (laughs) But you can check out. There's a lot of great accounts on social media, Abandoned, Lost Road. Uh, If you just check the Urbex hashtag, there's so many pictures, beautiful pictures of Old abandoned buildings, and of course, you know, even more exciting, old abandoned hospitals or mental hospitals, no. or you know, fortresses, and all that stuff. That's that's really good when you're writing a suspense novel, right? To get one of these. Um. Uh, Gosh. I think one of these places,
0: especially those factories. I've seen Jeepers Creepers too many times. The ending of that movie, there's no way yeah. I'll go with you when you're GoPro. I'll be in on the other side of the camera.
1: <laughs> another funny thing, because I had Carla take me out and show me you now there, there are some rules you cannot break and enter in any way. Uh, you can only uh, take pictures and only leave footprints. That's sort of the rule. So you're not allowed to do any kind of damage or property damage or graffiti or anything like that. So it's sort of the rules. And then he took me to this old abandoned factory way down in a mine. And we were down there in the darkness. And he said, quiet, quiet. Do Listen, do do you hear? I said, no. Are you sure you don't hear? And I said, no. And then I realized I don't know him all that well. And my phone wasn't working. And I was like, hmm, what's he talking about now? And he said, can you hear a ticking sound? He said, no, I couldn't. So, ah, that's too bad. So, what's that? I said, well, it's my heart. He said, sometimes he has a mechanical heart valve. And sometimes when it's really quiet and the acoustics are just right, you can hear it in the darkness, right? And it was so good. And I, I went back home and I couldn't sleep the, the whole night. And I, I woke up in the morning and I called him the first thing I did. And I said, it, please, please, can I use your mechanical heart in the book? Because it's such a good feature, really. And he said, yeah, on one condition. And I said, right, okay. So it can't be the murderer. <laughs> it has to be someone else. And I said, fine. So so that's why Martin Hill in the book, he has a mechanical heart, uh, which it turns out to be sort of a disadvantage if you're in the darkness being chased by a serial killer and he can hear your heart ticking, right? So,
0: I mean, unbelievable. This origin story is just <laughs> mind
1: boggling. No, it's so funny, but sometimes when you you, you can plan a, a certain amount of things when you write and, and then you do research and then you just run into these things that are so good you couldn't even plan them or like they're just, I'm taking the mechanical heart. Thank you. <sighs>
0: Oh my gosh. I I don't even know what my follow-up question should be. <laughs> I think we could end the podcast there and say, everybody go get the book. Holy cow. And I will back into the book because I really don't want to provide any spoilers. There's nothing I'm going to spoil here. I love our main character, Leo. Um, Lenore Asker. We call her Leo. She is terrific. We are on her side from the beginning. Talk about writing Leo. What was her inspiration? Um, she's, she's great.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, for writing her, I think I actually first created the Department of Lost Souls. And by the way, whenever I go to a different country—I'm in Spain right now—but but, but go to different countries and do lectures, I almost always have someone come up and tell me, "Yeah, I work for—I work for the police, I work for the uh, customs, I work for the Treasury Department. We—we ha- we have a Department of Lost Souls. I know where they are. They—they they, they exist everywhere for some reason, which is really funny, but." When I created them, I realized that for them to make sense or also to get the dynamics that sort of drives the whole series, I need to put someone there who is their complete opposite, right? So I invented Leo, and she's a really, really high performer, maybe not with the best people skills because she's very impatient and she wants results, she and, is. which is the reason why she ends up there. <laughs> and having her collide with this group, that's sort of the engine that drives the whole series. You now She has to change in order to get, because they can help her. They they are actually skillful in, Mm -hmm. in some things, right? And she finds out that later on that she can get some help from them, but she has to learn how to motivate them or exchange services or favors or whatever it is to, to get them, them to help her. So, so she came from that. And then, of course, if you're writing a thriller, if you're writing a police procedure, you need a policeman with a tough background, right? That's almost every police officer in every store has a difficult background. And so I created hers and her father was once a brilliant engineer, worked for a big uh, company. And, and then he had some patents that, that he was tricked out of. He sued his employer. He lost, he lost his job. He got divorced and he, Turned into like a slippery slope. So he took Leah with him, moved out in the woods, and started one of those like doomsday camps, like a prepper. He's preparing for the doomsday that never came, of course. But he made her learn all these things, almost on, under like military discipline. You know how to use weapons, how to drive, how to fix things. And she's conflicted about that because he was going more and more insane, as you will find out in the book as well. So she sort of hates him for that, what he turned her into and what he turned into. And she sort of loves him still because he's still her father. And some of the skills that he actually taught her, she can use in her current line of work, right? So it comes in handy when you're a police officer. So she's very torn towards her background. Some pieces are actually good to have and some she'd rather forget about. And when I came up with that, I thought that was an interesting idea to work with, just not someone who's trying to get away from their background completely, but someone who is conflicted about, you know, this was actually useful, I can use that. And I owe my father some gratitude for teaching me this. On the other hand, he did all this and this and this, which was terrible, right?
0: Yeah, that whole backstory for Leo is terrific. And those skills that her father teaches her Boy, does she knock it out of the park. She really employs. She's a good. I'm not going to say anything else about that. <laughs> I love her. I think the backstory is great. Um, I won't say any more about her. Readers, listeners, you will love her as much as I do. I promise you. Um just to talk a little bit more about this particular, this group of books. It's a trilogy. Oh, it's four. Oh, I didn't know it was four. I'm here. Can I just tell you something? I'm here for all of them. I, I can't. I'm hoping you're getting them finished because I don't know how much longer I can wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm writing the third one right now. So, and I, I promised my Swedish publisher four. So I, I've signed the contract and I took the advance. I, I'm going to have to write four. But but I've also said if I still enjoy the company of these characters, if if I still enjoy the universe, there's gonna be more, right? So so at least four. That's 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 my promise. So
0: if you're gonna have to write four, I'm gonna have to read them all four. So um when when you started, what comes first, the contract saying, okay, we want more of these books? Or did you decide, okay, I'm not done with Leo, it's going to take three books or four to get her story out there?
1: I planned this for a couple of years, actually. Uh, so I planned it for four books, and I presented it as four books to my publisher and my agent, and they liked the whole idea. So we, we were in agreement to start out with that that it was going to be at least four books, maybe more, but we'll see where we end up. So... So I wanted to try because I've never written a series like that, that tied together. I try to, I I learn as I go as a writer. I'm actually, I'm, I'm a reader. That's what I am. And I've read so much that I wanted to try to actually drive the car and not just sit in the back seat, right? That's a lot of writers do that. So the only way for me to learn and to develop is to try something new. And that's what I've tried different genres within crime fiction i've written murder mysteries and thrillers and techno thrillers and the season's quartet which is more like a family tragedy that kind of story so slow crime fast crime and but i've never really committed to a longer series so so that's why I, i'm going to have to try and see if i could do that and that's why also why i needed a couple of years to think about the whole format for it to be set in
0: and i will tell you when listeners and readers even see that there's four books in a you know the series are, and they think oh my gosh I, this is such a commitment the mountain king movie moves so quickly that narrative just takes off. You're like I said at the top, I was flipping the pages and now I'm sitting here with bated breath waiting for the second book, which if it just comes out here in the US now in 2024, I mean, I hate to put you on the spot, but I'm going to when am I when can I see the next book?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that one is already written. So, it, and it's already been published here in Sweden oh, and in Norway. Okay. So, so it's, it's, I think that's absolutely the translation. So ask Simon and Schuster, Schuster nicely for an advanced copy. I think it's the translator who's working with it right now. Oh, because ye- that's what I read. So I'm working on number three that's going to be published here end of this year. So in, in Sweden,
0: you don't even have to tell me twice to hit up Simon and Schuster <laughs> for this. <laughs> because that will happen, and I know that you mentioned that you're a big reader. Where does writing come in for you? This love for writing, this love for reading, was it something that started early? At what point did you know you wanted to, as you said, drive the car?
1: It, it started really early. I, I'm born in 1971, so way before internet. And Sweden is was we still is a very small country. We had two TV channels. There was really nothing. There was basically it was football or soccer, as you would call it here, or, or it was wrestling. And, you know, wrestling sounded dangerous and, and I was like a very mediocre soccer player. Dangerous,
0: as well. so says the thriller writer. I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but then I was lucky enough to have my, my mother is a librarian. So she introduced me really, really early to books. I read and wrote very early. My, my first note, my mama saved it, is from when I'm five and I've written down that I have a complaint about my bedtime hours. So <laughs> I I, had, I wrote a written complaint that I handed in. So I I read and wrote really early and I was lucky enough to have a constant supply of books because my mother had the keys to the library. So I had 24 seven access to the library. She had the keys and the alarm code. So whenever I wanted something to read, she just took me there and I, I can still, if I close my eyes and you see it in front of me, how it looks like. It was, she didn't put on all the lights. So it was sort of dark and the, the smell of books and, you know, the excitement of walking down the aisles and just picking something. And, and I still love that whole thing when you open a book and that immediate transfer you have. You you can travel in time. You can travel in space. You can be anywhere in three seconds. You can be like 10,000 leagues under the sea. You can be in the future or in the past. And I still love that transition so much maybe because i brought up in a very small village you know nothing was happening so for me everything was happening in the books so I, I read everything i could get my hands on and since this was 70s and 80s there weren't all that much children's books or young adult books at the time right so quite early i got introduced to the lighter crime fiction what would be like agatha christie mm-hmm. that was one of my first loves when i discovered like agatha christie that was wow this is something very different from what i read before so that's really where it comes from. And I had no desire to become a writer. I was good in in school and, and writing, but, but I never thought that could be a career of any sorts. I didn't discover that until I was about 35 or so. And I sort of started thinking about, you know, I've read this many books and I worked as a police officer and I had a career in private security and I had a lot of time on my hands at the time because I was traveling and this was before there was wi-fi on the planes right but then I lacked the final little piece of the puzzle to be able to, to write as well I lacked the courage to start and that's I think it's what's blocking 99% of any wannabe writer that you never start because if you don't start well you can't fail either right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you, until you start you can keep the dream perfect and pristine and everything right but when you start there's also a risk for failure so I didn't start but luckily, I'm married to, to Annette, who's a very, very uh, clever woman in many ways. And, and she just looked at me one day and she said, when are you going to write that book you've been thinking about? And I didn't, I hadn't even told her about it. And She, she just knew. And at the time, I just said, yeah, I'm going to start now because now it's no longer my bad idea. It's your bad idea. So, you know.
0: So, Annette, you're going with me for the ride. Isn't
1: it? Yeah, yep, yep. So, and if this fails, I'm going to blame you. Right? So, <laughs> so, so that's sort of the whole, whole backstory to it. And then I, I did a couple of uh, tries and, and I didn't succeed at first because I tried to do too much at the same time. Uh, I tried to write as, as everything I've ever read. You know, I just enjoyed writing a bit too much. And after a couple of attempts, I realized I have to think about this as writing is a process. If you work in, in security, it's also a process. You know, something is going wrong. Someone is stealing our computers. How are they doing it? Where are things going wrong? And the and story or a writing is sort of the same. It's a long line of different decisions and different things that are happening. And some of these things, I'm failing at some of these things. I just need to identify them and find out what they are. And so I asked some of my friends to read what I've written. But I didn't ask them just, you know, read this and tell me what you think. Because then they're going to say, yeah, it was good yeah you know, i I can't do anything with that information. that's bad data right, right. i right. I need to know exactly what so I gave them different tasks, so I had one person just read the first twenty pages and and do do me a summary and I had someone focus on the main character and summarize what they thought, and someone focused at the end and they took it really seriously and I got a lot of data back like I said, all right, so now I know where the problem is, and then i I tried to write a different story and using that information and then it actually took off, so I was picked up by a publisher and published and. Yeah
0: full time writers, yeah, insane. which we're grateful for, so now you walk into libraries and you see your books on the shelves,
1: yes, I love it, and my first question is, is there a long line of people waiting for it? That's yeah, my first that's how long is the waiting line, and they go, it's a hundred and twenty, yes, good, over a hundred, that's good, yeah,
0: you know the questions to ask yes, exactly. I'm so impressed yeah. by that
1: yeah or or have they uh, I, am am I sorted under D for Delamotte? Right. or is it m for mott? Mm-hmm. Very tricky question, but oh. most most librarians know that Della is is actually not my real last name. It's just it's like fun or uh, all, all these little. It, it doesn't count, right? So I'm supposed to be on M for Mot, right? So most librarians know this. So
0: this is unbelievable. I mean, I had no I, I had no expectation we would turn to the tips and tricks, and you know them all. This is un this is great. Now I love libraries. I, I was literally brought up in one. So yeah. I think that's awesome. So when you walk in, do you bring family members? Do you tell people, "Hey, go look at my books on the shelves." Does your mom know that you've been? Is she was she is she still with us? Was she able to see some of she's, your books on the shelf? Oh
1: yeah, she is still with us, and yeah, she's uh, at her old workplace. It's full of my books, and yeah, so yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm in every library. County library in Sweden has my books. So that's, oh my um, gosh. That's, Yeah, that's that's really yeah. so. C- she actually, can host you for awesome.
0: a book discussion, right? She say, like, "Come." <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: she is, she's is retired now but and, you know, I do a lot of, the libraries in Sweden invite authors to come and to do a lecture about their books I do as many as those as as I can because I really love libraries and I want to support them. So I try to do as many as I can because they're really still the driver of getting people to read and, and the importance of that and keeping the, the the libraries open. And and it's it's very interesting because in Sweden since a couple of years we have something called um, I don't know what the English translation will be. It's it's actually open outside of office hours as a customer you can get an access card and you can swipe it and you can get into the library in the evenings when, when it's closed. You can you can borrow the books and you can gam them and everything, and it's working really well. You thought people will destroy things and stuff, but they don't. But it's so funny when they mention this, and they're so proud of this. Now we have this great service that you can get into the library out of hours. And I said, yeah, that's great. But I had that in 1977. So it's fantastic. For me, it's no news.
0: You're one of the originals, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) You've been doing it long, long ago. You mentioned Annette, and I follow along with all of your social media things. And you were in New York City during Valentine's Day doing a book signing. One of the things you revealed on your Instagram page is that you've got a new project coming up with someone very special in your life. And I would love for you to share that with everyone.
1: Yes. So I'm writing a different series, a murder mystery series with Annette. It's called Murder Under the Sun. That's the name of the series. And it's about a little travel agency taking people from the Nordics to Italy, where my wife is half Italian. So they take them there for culture and for food. And in the first book is for in Capri, which is a lovely place outside of Naples and a lovely island and of course, in, in these lovely trips, someone dies, as they should in a real Agatha Christie murder mystery. And the travel agent and one of the travelers, who's a professor in history, actually, they have to figure out who did it and why. Sort of a classic "who, who done it," but it, it's based in, in Italy. And it's so much fun. My wife is half Italian. She has a lot of family in Italy. They were helping us out with getting the food and the wine correct, because it's all regional, right? So... It has to be right for the region. And my wife is, is already a writer. She, she's written school books and she's also an editor. So she knows all this already. So it's it's really easy working together. And uh, so, so you, that's that's being published you, in, in May in Sweden.
0: OK, so May in Sweden and then hopefully sometime after that for us. And, you know, if you have to go to Capri and do some taste testing and food sampling and wine tasting, I think of that's, we have to do
1: that. Yep. You know, yep.
0: that you can write that off as, you know,
1: we, we did that last summer and took all the pictures for the book and did all the tasting and everything. Thing is authentic and there's even a little recipe going with the book right of course as it should and oh a little uh, little dictionary with some of the useful italian words like murderer and, and you know stuff like that i so, cannot wait so it's very different from the mountain king and this is this murder mystery it's not cozy crime but it's in that sort of area i understand and, and the mountain king is the uh, in the opposite it's nothing cozy about it whatsoever right so
0: it's, <laughs> it's a total it's 180 <laughs>
1: It is, but it's so, so much fun doing the two things, but because, because some of the tools are the same and some of the tools are very different also when it comes to plot, of course, but also. When it comes to um, character building, when it comes to the language, mm-hmm. it's it's also a different language because in, in the Mountain King, it's quite short and forward leaning, driven tempo language. And when you try uh, write a murder mystery, you can you take your time a little bit more and you know
0: enjoy the yeah, scenery, so. be with yes, the people, yeah. do all. And the characters it. can be a little bit
1: quirky in a different way, right? So, it's, but it's so much fun actually, and it's it's fun doing something together after all these years. And that has always been my first reader and my first editor and first everything. So it's so much fun doing it this together, right? So it's it's, it's lovely.
0: Well, whichever book comes first, hopefully you will come back for (laughs) either one of those, because I'm sure we will have a ton of questions. Since you have spent so much time in the library and you do a lot of reading, and I know you're busy and you probably don't have much time, but is there anything you have read recently, recommendations that you would like to share with listeners?
1: You're right. It's difficult. I have a problem, uh, reading when I write myself because it gets sort of messy in, mm-hmm, in, in yeah. my head. And I hear all these different voices that are not mine. <laughs> uh, but I always try to read one of my favorites. One of my favorite is, uh, you Nesbo, Nesbo, you probably call him that in the US. He's one of my absolute favorites. So I just got his latest book and that's on top of my shelf. Uh, another book I read not too long ago was, um, Long Bright River. Liz Moore? Is Liz, Moore. Yeah. Liz Moore. Yeah, that Terrific. was really good too. Yeah, I love that book. So.
0: Liz Moore has a new book coming out and it's sometime in the spring, summer. So oh, yeah, that's really something to look forward to. Oh, I it's need to get a copy of that. Wonderful. Well, maybe you can call one of your, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going <laughs> to so have to <laughs> Strangely enough, I can actually, it's easier for me when I'm writing myself to read in English. Because that's sort of a different part of the brain. So those voices doesn't get as confused as when I read in Swedish. So English works pretty well. My brain is wired strangely, <laughs> I'm guessing, but, but something like that. So, oh, great. I'll make, make sure I get a copy of that.
0: Definitely check that out. I know that you are, as I said before, on a lot of different social media platforms. I think you're on Facebook, Instagram, and. Yeah,
1: that's it. I'm too old for, for TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
0: Yeah. Me too. That's not even... Oh, gosh. I Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. But I will post all of the links for people to follow along with you on your adventures and your journeys. Your pictures on Instagram are amazing. And I really, uh, an armchair follower, I love seeing all of that. Listeners, The Mountain King. By today's guest, the amazing Anders de Lamotte is on shelves right now. As I've said, please grab a copy at your local library, your local independent bookstore, and for the love of Pete, read this book with the lights on. There were a couple of times I had to walk outside to get fresh air because I felt claustrophobic. (laughs) The sign (laughs) of a good book. The Mountain King is published by Simon & Schuster, which is um, Emily Bessler books and Atria. and. I mean, I don't know how to thank you for spending all this time with us. I, I really do hope you'll come back for whichever book I read first in your catalog.
1: <laughs> Always happy to go to the US. So now my pleasure.
0: Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you for joining both of us today. Remember to follow Top Shelf at Merrick Library wherever you find most podcasts. For the latest and the greatest at the Merrick Library, check out our website at merricklibrary.org. Thanks to Merrick Library Director Dan Chosmere, Assistant Director Miera Broderick, and the Merrick Library Board of Directors for getting us off the ground and on to the airwaves. Until the next time, remember to keep us on your top shelf.